Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In part two of the series, Pastor Rob creates biblical lists of the costs and benefits of following Jesus and explores what value we place on them. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you, we praise you because of what we know is eternity stretching out with you. It gives us such hope and such comfort. And yet, Father, every day seems to cloud our vision and distort our perspective. God, would you give us eyes to see what you are really doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What are the costs and benefits of being Jesus' disciples? We began the process of a cost-benefit analysis on Christian faith last week. And last week, we began with the first task of a cost-benefit analysis. We were identifying the question that we are asking. And in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, Jesus requires that we make a decision. And the decision that Jesus requires that we make is, can we be his disciples? Now, there are four steps to a cost-benefit analysis. Step one is establish the framework. And that is what we did last week. We established the framework for our analysis. Steps two and three are identify your costs and benefits and assign a value to each cost and benefit. Then step four is tally the total value of benefits and costs and compare. Step four is what we're going to do next week. But this week, we are working on steps Two and three, identifying and valuing the costs and benefits of being Jesus' disciples. So what are the costs and benefits of being Jesus' disciples? We're actually required to think about the costs and benefits of being Jesus' disciples. That's what Jesus is prompting us to do when he tells a brief parable about the builder of a tower in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And so now, what is Jesus driving at in this parable about a tower? Well, first of all, the tower that he's talking about is likely a storage tower. If it was in the wall around a vineyard, it was a place to store the, the, the harvest. If it was a wall around a small farm, it was a place to store tools and to store the harvest. And he says, if you're going to build a tower, of course, you're going to sit down first and ask the question, do I have enough resources to complete the building of this stone tower on my farm? Otherwise, 
I'm not going to be able to finish. And as a result, people are going to see and they're going to mock me and I'm going to feel shame as a result. And Jesus begins this parable with the question, which of you, which of you would begin to build a tower without first sitting down to consider the costs and whether he has enough to complete it? And the answer is implied. Of course, none of you would. And so then the message comes out, if none of you would start building a tower without counting the cost and knowing that he's able to complete the building of the tower, then do not, do not begin to be my disciple without first asking, what are the costs? And am I willing to pay the costs involved in being Jesus's disciples? He goes on to give us a similar message in a second parable about a king in verses 31 and 32, where Jesus says, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And here we, we have a king that's considering going to war. And the king, before going to war, considers whether his troops, with the number of troops that he has, with the training that they have, the supplies and the leadership that they have, the sense of purpose that they have, will be able to defeat the troops of the opposing king. If he does, then he goes to war. If he doesn't, then he sends a delegation to ask for peace to avoid disaster. And Jesus asks that question again. What king, what king would not count the costs and whether he is able to win before going to battle? Again, the answer is implied. Of course, no king would do such a thing. And if no king would go to battle without knowing whether he can win or not, then none of us, Jesus is implying, should begin the process of being his disciples without counting the cost and asking whether we are willing to pay them. Jesus relies heavily on this image of counting the cost. He uses the phrase explicitly in his parable about a tower, count the cost. The word that Jesus uses for counting when it comes to cost is derived from the Greek word for stones. But when he uses the word for stones, the word implies not a large rock, but small, smooth stones, the kind that could be used in a mosaic or in a game. This word for stones came to be used for counting because stones could be used to count. Stones actually came to be associated with deciding because stones were used in the voting process when a decision was made, sometimes literally and sometimes figuratively, each eligible voter was given a stone. And that voter's stone would be cast into a pile, a bag, or a box to make a decision. Yes, no. This candidate, that candidate, they were used in rendering decisions by juries, guilty, innocent. And at the end of the voting process, 
The piles would be counted, the boxes would be opened, the bags would be opened, and the stones inside counted, and a decision would be made. And so this word comes to mean count, as in assess, in order to make a decision. And that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do right here. Count the, the stones. Count the cost. Today I want to suggest to you that Jesus lays out for us Four costs of being his disciples. Four costs of being Jesus' disciples. He does so in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27 and 33. The list that he gives us is not exhaustive, but Jesus is asking us here to think. Listen to these verses. Now, great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, in those verses where Jesus is leading us to think about the costs involved in being his disciples, that word hate stands out. It sticks out like a sore thumb. What does Jesus mean by the word hate? Because when we hear the word hate, what we think of is a sense of emotional, psychological disgust or displeasure with something. And when we hear that applied to our families, that just feels so very wrong. In fact, the Bible tells us that that's not what Jesus means here at all. We're not allowed to emotionally despise our families, other people. 1 John 2, verse 9 says, Whoever says he is in the light that belongs to Jesus and hates his brother is still in darkness. We can't belong to Jesus and psychologically, emotionally despise or have disgust for those people around us. So that's not what Jesus is saying here. Well, then what is it that Jesus means? Well, it turns out that the word hate can be used in the Hebrew language in multiple ways. Now, this happens to words in the English language. We know that. We're accustomed to that. And it turns out that hate in Hebrew is a word that can be used in multiple different ways. Sometimes the word hate means exactly what we mean by hate. It implies an emotional, psychological, visceral sense of disgust for something or for someone. But sometimes the word hate is used to compare one thing to another. I love this and I hate that means I prefer this over that. And the way that the word is used in Hebrew comes through, despite the fact that the New Testament is written in Greek, those Hebrew idioms, those Hebrew turns of phrase sometimes come through in the New Testament. 
We find Jesus drawing on that use of hate in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is saying here that hate, using hate in the sense that you value one over the other. You love one and hate the other. And this sense of valuing a thing is exactly what Jesus is implying here. And we know that because Jesus makes almost the same identical statement in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, but it's phrased just a bit differently. And it reads there, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so when Jesus calls us to hate family, he doesn't mean that we are to have a psychological disgust for him. It means that we must value Jesus above our families. We must value Jesus above our lives. While this teaching is much easier for us to accept, we have to recognize that this teaching is still difficult. And now the costs of being Jesus' disciples begin to become much clearer. Cost number one of being Jesus' disciple, it turns out, is family impact. When Jesus says that we are to value him above our families, we recognize that when we become followers of Jesus, it may lead to an impact in our families. We may live in families of mixed faith where we are disciples of Jesus and other people in our families are not. And the simple disconnect in our faith leads to conflict and division in the families. And sometimes because we are followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, and family members are not, the things that we value and believe are different from the things they value and believe. That which we hold to be good and evil, right and wrong, are different from the things they hold to be good and evil and right and wrong. And that disjunction can cause conflict in families. And when we become disciples of Jesus, we are dedicated to the mission of Jesus. And being dedicated to the mission of Jesus may be inconvenient for the balance of our families. But to be disciples of Jesus costs us the fact that sometimes it leads to family conflict and family inconvenience. There's an impact on our families. Being disciples of Jesus leads to a second cost, and that's life interruption for us. When we become disciples of Jesus, we recognize that our lives were on one path before we became disciples of Jesus, and as we live our lives in obedience to Jesus and on mission for Him, it may substantially impact the course of our lives. It changes the trajectory of our lives. It changes what we do with our time and our money. The Apostle Paul understood this all too well, and in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he was commenting on this reality. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord." 
being disciples of Jesus may very well lead to life interruption. Jesus also goes on to say that being disciples of his may lead us to taking up our own cross, a third cost of being Jesus' disciples. Now, as Jesus takes up his own cross, we recognize what it means for him. It means obeying his Father perfectly. It, it means suffering. It means laying down his life for us. And when Jesus tells us to take up our own crosses, it means the very same things for us. It means obeying our Father perfectly, suffering when necessary, and laying down our lives for Jesus Christ and for others. When we take up our own crosses, we are embracing obedience and suffering and the laying down of our lives. And we recognize that living in the world that we live in, taking up our crosses may lead to difficulty, to life interruption, to persecution, and even, at times, to death itself. You see, we live in a culture that is at odds with the culture of the gospel. And the fact that we live in a culture that is at odds with the culture of the gospel means that there is conflict and that we expect that conflict. We expect opposition. We expect to be ridiculed. We expect at times to be persecuted. Jesus tells us that this is the expected impact of being his disciples. In John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus tells us to expect opposition and suffering and persecution. And there are places in the world right now where being a Christian leads to exactly those things, to persecution, to arrest, to loss of job, to jail, even to death. And while we live in a society that is by and large free, we recognize that we must be prepared for persecution and suffering ourselves. So Jesus says, cost number three is taking up our own cross. Cost number four is rethinking our possessions. Now, what Jesus says is that we must renounce all that we have. And we know that when Jesus says we must renounce all that we have, it doesn't mean that we immediately sell and, and give away all of our possessions and wealth, except that's sometimes exactly what Jesus means. When Jesus called disciples in the New Testament, Frequently, he told them to leave everything behind, give it away, sell it, abandon it. But at a bare minimum, Jesus is asking us to consider the question, what controls us, our stuff or our Lord? And our stuff cannot control us. Our Lord must. And so being disciples of Jesus comes with the cost of rethinking our possessions. There are costs involved, Jesus says, in being his disciples. So four costs of being Jesus' disciples, but I want to suggest as well five benefits of being Jesus' disciples. Jesus doesn't address the question of the benefits involved in being his disciples in Luke chapter 14, and so I want to suggest a different framework for us thinking through the benefits of being Jesus' disciples 
I'd like for us to look at it through the lens of God's story from creation to conclusion. It's five chapters that help us to understand the arc of salvation history. And each chapter helps us to think about a fundamental benefit of being Jesus' disciples. Chapter one of God's story is creation. And in chapter one of God's story, creation, we find that we exist for a purpose. We have a purposeful existence. Because in chapter one, creation, we remember that God made the world and everything in it, including us. That he did so on purpose. Now, this is fundamentally different than what people around us think because people around us live with the understanding that they came to exist through random chance. They came from nowhere and are going to nowhere, which is a sad way to look at human existence. By contrast, we understand that we were made for a reason by a creator who loves us and and whose care sustains us day in and day out. And so one of the benefits of being a disciple of Jesus is a purposeful existence. The second benefit we get in the second chapter, which is brokenness, is we discover that we have loving accountability. In chapter two of God's story, brokenness, we are reminded that we human beings sinned against God who has a perfect will for our lives. And the very fact that God has a perfect will, a plan for our lives, comes as good news to us. Because you see, if God has a will and a plan, it means that we are not responsible for deciding what is right and wrong and coming up with the rules of life. There is a set of rules. God makes them. God is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. That's liberating. But beyond that, we discover that when we disobeyed God and walked away from God, God did not walk away from us. We tried to save ourselves, to earn our way back into eternity, but we couldn't, but God had a plan. And so we discover that as disciples of Jesus, we have loving accountability. In chapter three of God's story, Jesus, we find that we get forgiveness and adoption as well, because chapter three of God's story tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. He took on human flesh. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. And then in obedience to his father, he took the full weight of our sin on his shoulders. He died in our place to pay the price for our sin. And three days later, he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death and evil. And now because Jesus has died in our place and lives again, we have the offer of forgiveness People who are not disciples of Jesus do not get the offer of forgiveness in life. We get the offer of forgiveness. And when we receive forgiveness, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. We are members of God's royal family because we are disciples of Jesus. And so a benefit of being a disciple of Jesus is we are forgiven and adopted. And then in chapter four of the church, we discover that we get new life as well. 
Chapter four of God's story, the church reminds us that God sent his Holy Spirit into the world to the disciples of Jesus, that we might be remade as we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives, constantly into the image of Christ. God, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and gives us gifts for ministry that we might serve in God's mission to the world. And God, the Holy Spirit knits us into the church, the family of faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we are never afloat. We are never alone again. As disciples of Jesus, we get new life, a new faith family, and a new mission. And then as we come to chapter five of God's story, return, we discover that we get eternal glory because Jesus, the risen Christ, the King, is coming again to make the world as it is into the world as it should be. And as Jesus, the King, returns, we are resurrected to spend eternity with him. And as Jesus, the King, returns, he defeats finally and forever sin and death and evil, and we live and reign with Christ forever. Eternal glory awaits us as disciples of Jesus. These are the benefits of being disciples of Jesus. Let's value both the costs and the benefits of being Jesus' disciples. Let's value both the costs and the benefits of being Jesus' disciples. You see, when Jesus tells us to count the costs and he points us to these stones, we recognize what he's talking about. Because we do this. Sometimes we do this consciously. Sometimes we do this subconsciously. We think about and identify the costs of being disciples. We think about, we identify the benefits of being disciples. We identify costs, we identify benefits. But not only do we identify costs and benefits, but we value them. When something feels weighty, conflict in our families, for instance, we feel that cost. So we value that cost highly. Put a bunch of stones in that pile. We do this process mentally over and over again. Rarely do we discuss this process with one another. And frequently, this process goes on even without our own awareness at a subconscious level at times. And in our subconscious valuing of the costs and the benefits of being Jesus' disciples, we identify odd things. And we value 
some costs and some benefits oddly. We have a picture that in raising our kids, they have an athletic match on a Sunday, them being normal, fitting in, having every opportunity in life is very important. So the thought of giving that up that they might be in church feels like a very big cost. And we think about benefits like eternal glory. And we know it's important, but we can't see it. And somehow we figure it's, it's just going to work itself out in the end anyway. And we value it lightly. We desperately need some honesty and some transparency in how we identify and value the costs and the benefits of being Jesus' disciples. We're not used to talking about this stuff with one another. We're not used to talking about the Christian life and about discipleship with one another. We're not used to talking out loud honestly and transparently about the costs and the benefits of being Jesus' disciples, about what we put in each pile and about how we value these things. We're not even honest and transparent with ourselves about how we identify and value the costs and benefits of being Jesus' disciples. But we must begin to be honest and transparent with one another, with ourselves, and with God about Christian living about discipleship, about the costs, about the benefits, and about how we value them. Because Jesus' way of valuing these things reminds us that we may have gotten our valuations wrong because as we value the costs and the benefits of being Jesus' disciples, we give far too much weight to earthly suffering and far too too little weight 
to heavenly glory. Jesus, though, shows us how to understand things like the weight of the cross and the glory of heaven. We read about it in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus rightly values the weight of the cross and the glory of heaven. And as Hebrews says, he shows us what it looks like to rightly value the costs and benefits of being his disciples. Only when we're honest and transparent with each other, with ourselves, and with God, can we rightly identify and value the costs and benefits of being Jesus' disciples? What are the costs? What are the benefits? How do we value the costs and benefits? And what is the real value of the costs and benefits? How will we identify and value the costs and benefits of being Jesus' disciples? Those are steps two and three of our cost-benefit analysis. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.